Kesztályán született. They have done this work there, and it was a very good company. The commander, Karol Somogyi, liked the young guys who were assigned to him and often let them go on leave. And when the Aerocross came to power in October 1944, he let them go to the wind to keep them out of trouble. You're listening to For the Living and the Dead, Trace of the Holocaust, a podcast brought to you by the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure. I'm Kevania de Vries In each episode, we talk about an object that tells us more about the Holocaust. This time, we've chosen an old-fashioned stamp made of linoleum. Think of it as a seal or a mold, which should be dipped in ink to create documents. It is part of a larger collection and it was used to create fake documents. These stamps are now in the collection of the Holocaust Memorial Center in Budapest. But they were made during the Second World War by a man named Endre Kaldori, whose son we heard at the beginning of this podcast. Today, I am joined by Andras Segeni, a research fellow in the historical archives of the Hungarian State Security in Budapest. Andras, welcome. Thank you for having me. Could you describe the stamps, these seals that were used to create the documents? Uh, the stamps were tools of Andre Kaldori for a forging action. The basic material for this work was linoleum flooring, linoleum flooring and, uh, and rubber. Uh, Kaldori made many kinds of tiny rubber stamps, round ones, uh, long ones, oval ones, little and big ones, bigger ones, and so on. And not just the forms differed, but the marks and inscriptions as well. Uh, the color of the stamps is uh, deep brown in general. They really look like as any other valid official stamps at that time because of yeah. the stamps were perfect copies of the original ones. And the stamps were this way suitable for forging documents. Uh, every person, including the Jews, uh, needed various documents and identity cards, especially during the war and uh, more specifically from the spring of 1944 onwards, when not just the harsh anti-Jewish laws, but the uh, very brutal anti-Jewish decrees had been enforced since Germany occupied Hungary in, 19, in March 1944. Christians had to prove that they were not Jews. Jews had to prove that where they lived and uh, they had to prove where men worked in their labor, um, labor service battalions and so on. That's why everybody needed um, documents in order to save his or herself. It was evident for Andre Kaldori that uh, a proper document could save life. Kaldori's purpose of making stamps and seals was to issue false documents by them in order primarily to rescue his family members. These stamps we're now talking about, they were made by Andrei Kaldori. Can you tell us some more about who he was? Andrei Kaldori uh, was uh, born in 1990 into a Jewish merchant family. The family was 
relatively poor. His profession was uh, really special. He was a fountain pen maker and repairer and had his own business in the from the late 1930s in this field. Uh, Kaldari lived in Budapest. Um, he was married in the early 1940s. And Kaldari and his wife had a daughter, Zhuzhanna, who was born in, in 1943. So they lived together in Budapest, the capital city of Hungary, in their own apartment in the district called Ulipotváros. They would have lived relatively peacefully in this anti-Semitic environment at that time, but Andrei Kaldari forced to serve as a labor serviceman in a labor service battalion uh, a couple of times during the war years, so the family often missed him during the war times. Kaldari, as a Jewish citizen, uh, was mobilized by mobilization tickets for labor service many times between 1940 and 44. Yeah. as it normally happened to the Jewish man uh, during the war. And uh, not just him from the, the Kaldari family, but the other male family members as well were Jewish labor servicemen in labor service battalions in various places uh, in the country, including three uncles and his father-in-law, who anyway suffered from diabetes. So every Kaldari was a labor serviceman and often missed uh, from his family. How could someone in such a precarious situation manage to rescue his family? In September 1944, uh, Kaldori's labor service unit was stationed in a factory in Budapest, in Váciút. Yeah. His unit consisted, consisted of, um, of young men like him. This young Jewish man slowly won the sympathy of the commander uh, Károly Somogyi, a colonel of a Hungarian army. Somogyi, um, this superior military officer, was not anti-Semitic, was not anti-Semitic, which was very uncommon in this high-ranking position yeah. at that time. He even often granted them leave from the factory and following the Aerocross takeover in, in mid-October 1944, he simply dismissed the entire labor service unit this was very yeah. unique and also dangerous for, for the commander itself, himself. Uh, so the military officer, this, this colonel, Karashumi, dismissed the unit where Kaldari was forced to work. But Kaldari seems to me, uh, he was a very smart man. He went home and, uh, and made false Christian documents, identity papers for, 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 for non-Jewish people, for himself and, and uh, his wife. And with the new papers, he was brave enough to start his own, as I said, rescue business at home. He set up a homegrown falsification workshop there. Kaldori decided not just to rescue himself and his family, his wife and his daughter, by making papers of Christian identity, but rescue as many people from his family as he could. And uh, it's very strange because this happened during the period of the Salashi regime, the worst and most dangerous time for the Jewry of Budapest in the autumn and winter of 1944 and 45. 
So you just mentioned Andre's bravery. Is there a bit more to be said about that? It's difficult to give a definite answer. Uh, I, in my opinion, one thing is sure. Caldori didn't accept his fate. He didn't want to be a yeah. victim. And, um, and according to his son, uh, he was a tough and always optimistic man. First of all, it should be mentioned that my father had very good manual dexterity. His grandfather was a master watchmaker and everyone else had good manual dexterity in our family. So the fact that my father could forge technically, he obviously found out very quickly. And then there was his personal courage. He was a boy scout as a child, a member of the Jewish scout troop. From there, he had some friends who were brave, tough boys like himself. My father socialized in this circle, and these cool, tough Jewish guys remained friends in his adult life, and he maintained a good relationship with them. They were always trying to do something to save their families. I think their behavior, their attitude, must have encouraged my father to do something. But only my dad made stands. I think three components, maybe three components were needed for this rescue action. The first one, the, the most important one, I think the physical ability. The physical ability to, to be able to make false documents and performing forgery. Kadori was uh, really good at it. He was a man with a good manual dexterity. The second, uh, the second thing I have to mention is, I think, his extreme courage. He had the courage to start his yeah. homegrown falsification workshop. Um, which is, he was really one of a kind, I think. And the third one, of course, was luck. So these three factors were needed to, to, to run this uh, homegrown falsification workshop, let's say. He had a survivor spirit, of course, but uh, the physical, without the physical ability and the courage and, uh, and the luck, he couldn't do anything against uh, the fate of the, uh, the jury of, of the time in Budapest. Well, in that situation, because you just described everything that Andre did to keep people safe, I mean, this was all happening during the war. What was it like for Jews in Budapest during the war? Until the German occupation of the country, the Jewry lived relatively safety compared to the other countries and territories under Nazi occupation, apart from the anti-Jewish laws and its economic and social impact, and of course the labor service for Jewish men. But uh, with the Nazi occupation uh, of Hungary uh, in March 1944, a, new, a totally new era began. With the help of the Germans, Hungarian Nazi government formed, by, led by Domestoyai. Uh, Hundreds of anti-Jewish decrees were issued by the government, and not just the government, but, but the local administration, destroying the life of the Jews in Hungary. It is well known that in April 1944, in cooperation between Germany and Hungary, a significant part of the rural Jewish population 
more than 400,000 people, Jewish people, Jewish citizens, brought to ghettos and departed to Auschwitz in, in that summer. The Jews of Budapest were in a fortunate position, on the other hand, as Miklos Horty stopped the deportations at the beginning of, uh, of July. In the summer of in the summer of 44, the Jews of the capital were forced to move to so-called yellow star houses in order to make it easier for the authorities to carry out the deportations later. Uh, in October 1944, the Aerocross, this extreme right power came to power, uh, led by Ferenc Salashi, um, fanatically pro-German and anti-Semitic government uh, relaunched the deportations, but the destination was no longer Auschwitz, but the German concentration camps. In addition, the Salashi government um, carried out brutal terror in Budapest against the Jews, where the Kaldari family lived at that time. And last but not least, in December, uh, in early December 1944, uh, the last ghetto of Europe was set up in Budapest, mm. where tens of thousands of people died as a result of uh, a lack of care and, and diseases and atrocities committed against them by the Aerocross party members. And do we know roughly, like, how many people were saved by Andre's actions? Um, very little information is available about the savings because everybody except for his children, are dead. There is no talk about this rescue action in, in the family, especially not during the decades of socialism, state socialism in Hungary. It was very yeah. common anyway. Um, Kadri saved all the relatives, all the relatives who lived in Budapest, except his maternal uncle. And, um, and everyone survived thanks to the forged seals and the forged documents. Um, Kadri managed to get all three of his uncles of, out of the, the military barracks from the labor service battalions with false orders and papers and, help, and later helped them to hide. He went to pick them up, posing as a high-ranking official of a special unit of the defense forces of the Hungarian army. To do this, of course, he made himself also false identity cards. And yeah. so as a Christian employee of the army, he took his relatives with him. And then he prepared false papers for, for the relatives, for the family members, with which these, these relatives could later continue to hide. I think the one of the most important uh, savings was that Kaldri also rescued his own mother in, um, in November 1944. He brought mm -hmm. her out of the brick factory in Obuda. Uh, Obuda, this brick factory uh, served as a, as a transit camp for further deportation. Uh, as I have said before, Salashi relaunched the deportations uh, in November 1944. 
And the Aerocross wanted to deport the Jewish citizens from Budapest, including Kaldari's mother. So yeah. Kaldari fabricated a false military order for her mother as if it had been issued by the, the Aerocross uh, uh, command of Budapest and used it to get into the transit camp and take her out. Uh, in fact, he even placed her, her mother, in an apartment building in Budapest as a Christian uh, vice uh, building manager, oh. Christian building manager, his, her, his uh, Jewish mother. Uh, Kaldari at the time grew a big moustache and looked like the Christian military commander. So uh, I think he saved 10 or 15 relatives in, in total. As far as we know today, Kaldari was not, not in contact with any other rescuers. There is no information that he was assisted by the underground Zionist rescuers, for example. Mm. And sometimes he could have met other people, usually with, with uh, former uh, labor service battalion members or, or Jewish friends who occasionally mm. helped him manage to get blank form. But that's all. He do everything alone. Do we know what Ender and his family did after the war? I don't really have closer information about the, the families or Kaldari's post-war life. As far as I know from, from, from his son Gabor, yeah. who was born after the war, I think in, in, in 1947, Kaldari became a manufacturer in his own profession after the war. This relatively free period between the, the Aerocross terror and, uh, and uh, the Stalinist state socialism in between 1945 and 48, he first had a business firm specialized in, in, in fountain pen making and repairing, which was his profession. But uh, the communist um, later, I don't know when, nationalized his firm and he became an employee, and um, yes, the Kaldari died in the in the Kader regime, as far as I know, in the 1970s, I think. And how did you get in contact with the Kaldari history? The story yeah. dates back in my life to 2012. I was working at the Holocaust Memorial Center in Budapest. This is a, a public museum where I was employed as head of collections which means I was in charge for the museum's collecting strategy, collecting practices, and for the collecting process itself. So under my supervision, my former colleagues and myself um, collected Holocaust-related historical sources. Uh, this, yeah. These personal materials were donated primarily by survivors and or by their relatives to the museum, sometimes uh, this happened also in the case of Kaldari. In, in this case, uh, looking back at 2012, uh, a gentleman named Gabor Kaldari was sending me an email stating that he would donate his father's personal materials to the museum because yeah. the father, Andre Kaldari, had a couple of objects, photos, personal documents uh, connecting to the, the Holocaust and the rescue action. 
I saw even at the first sight that uh, this would be a remarkable and precious source collection when I visited him. Consequently, uh, we collected these uh, materials to the museum, including the stamps, the seals, and, uh, and, and the false docu documents he had. So donated to the museum everything, almost everything in 2012. Uh, it's interesting because these materials had owned by his father for, for 60 years or so. I remember as I tried to understand the meaning of this, this collection because the, the materials were full of interesting and even strange objects like the stamps. <laughs> And we've been hearing from Gabor a bit in this podcast as well. And now Gabor and Shujana, so Ender's daughter and son, they donated their father's belongings to the Holocaust Memorial Center. You talked a bit about all the other things that Gabor donated, but do we know something else about stuff that Shujana might have donated? Yes, Shujana also donated something to the museum two years later in 2014. Uh, this is an interesting story. Uh, and very important. Kadri's wife and the daughter Yuzhana lived in Uliputvaris district in a yellow star house uh, from June to October 1944. But after the Aerocross takeover in October, the family evaded moving to the ghetto and at the end of November and went hiding with their Christian relatives instead. They survived the war, including the siege of Budapest in hiding, not only uh, I think in two or three different places. And at that time, Kadri made a special album for his little daughter who was born, as I have said, uh, in 1943, late 1943. Uh, a special album where the first pages were filled with photos and texts soon after the birth of the girl. And the album, this album, uh, this pretty album, tells the story of moving the Yellow Star House, the hiding, the liberation, and, and also the early post-war times, written and drawn by Andrea Caldery's specific humor and optimism. Uh, plenty of small details and events were recorded from the daily life of the family in this album. So this album is quite unique in, and, uh, and for, to me, is in, um, hard, in a harsh contrast with the other materials of the, with the stamps and false documents, because it, this album is, is really humorous and optimistic. And I really like the story of this album that Zhuzhanna donated to the museum two years later. How important would you say that it is that items such as this are also part of a museum collection? Mm, I consider it very important to research the personal memory of the Holocaust in general, narrative sources, objects, yeah. family papers. In my experience, these important materials are best kept in, in public collections because uh, for the later generations of Holocaust survivors, the personal objects and their parents and grandparents' stories are not so important or, or personal belongings. In a museum or in an archives, however, 
these things are preserved for the future generations and made accessible for the public. This is really important. Without this, the story of Kaldari would have been lost forever, not to mention the stamps and seals. So, yes, it's quite important. You no longer work for the Holocaust Memorial Center. We are doing research for a project on the history of the Hungarian inmates of Bergen-Belsen. You've also been an Erie Fellow. Do you think the work of the European Holocaust research infrastructure is valuable? Yes, of course. The research fellowships provided by the Erie are a very good opportunity for Holocaust researchers to conduct individual research in many fields. I have done research with the Connie Crystal Fellowship in London and Amsterdam in the, in the recent years. I've been researching the history and memory of those Hungarian Jews who were deported to Bergen-Belsen in, in, in several turns in 1944 and 45. And I've been doing this research for a couple of years. And of course, a lot of uh, support from the colleagues I met at, at Neod or in the, in the Wiener Library in London was really crucial to me in understanding this complicated topic. Andras, I'd like to thank you very much for talking to us about the stamps and especially about Andre Kaldori and his family. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to For the Living and the Dead, Trace of the Holocaust, a podcast brought to you by the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure. I'm Kavania de Vries Menig. Special thanks go to Andras Segeni. The Kaldori family, Andre, Shujana, and Gabor, and the Holocaust Memorial Center in Budapest, Hungary. If you'd like to know more about the work of the European Holocaust Research Infrastructure, you can find us online at eri-project.eu. That's eri-project.eu. Eri is funded by the European Union.